Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. 1 Peter 2, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. These are the verses I'd like to walk through this morning and uh there's pretty much one imperative in these verses that stands out to me, and hopefully it will stand out to you. It is the instruction to long for the pure milk of the word. Long for the pure milk of the word. And there are a few things that surround that to give this some context and some instruction. Obviously, when we finish chapter 1, we walk through a few things where he's already kind of introduced the word of God. He's already talked a little bit about it. So let's back up to chapter 1, verse 22 and read that for a second to get get a little context. He says this, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, meaning we kind of looked at that as implying that since you are already a believer and your souls have been purified by your faith in Jesus Christ, he says fervently love one another from the heart. But we learned that that love is rooted in the word of God. It is found as an outflow of the word of God acting within our lives. And so he says, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that through the living and enduring word of God. So the, that seed that's been planted in our hearts is the living and enduring word of God. And he speaks about the frailty of life for all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so there he's speaking about the endurance of the word of God, the eternality of the word of God. It lasts forever and it has the power to change us from the inside out. That love that we need to have in order to fervently love one another is going to flow from the eternal word of God dwelling within us. And he says, and this is the word which was preached to you. And that is that word uh, meaning the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Preached as good news is the little translation of that. So we've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. We believed it by faith. And we are uh, believers in Jesus Christ by faith. And that as a result is producing in us a love that should flow out into our Christian family. And that's kind of the context of where he goes into these next few verses, where he says, therefore, now that we are believers, and since we are to fervently love one another, we are to, in combination with longing for the pure milk of the word of God, continue in putting away the old flesh. So there are several concepts that I'd like to look at in verse, uh, chapter one, verse one through three. So let's look at the first one, the first, uh, phrase and first statement that he gives here he says therefore putting aside all malice which means wickedness as translated as wickedness putting aside all malice and deceit which are lies and hypocrisy which is the living of two lives uh, saying one thing and living another or 
um, desiring the things of uh, the blessings of God while also desiring the sins of the world at the same time. That kind of hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Um, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Let's take a look at putting aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So first of all, that phrase putting aside means to put away or to do away with or simply to get rid of. So it's a pretty simple statement. It's not super deep. He's just simply saying, if these things are present in your lives, then get rid of them. And he's already kind of touched on that. We've, if you back up in First Peter again, to uh, verse 15, chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Like the Holy One who has called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So it stands to reason, if we notice any of these qualities in our lives as believers, then the simple response to that as believers is get rid of them. Now, he's not, again, he's not stating this to us as a means to our salvation. Meaning that if you get rid of all the sin in your life, then you can be right with God and you can be holy before God. Because the only way that we can stand rightly with God is by faith in Jesus Christ. And he explained that in the first verses of chapter 1, where he talked about the, the work of God causing us to be born again to a living hope through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. So we trust him that we are made right with God through the work of Christ. However, because God is holy and God never changes, and because God is the judge of sin and will always judge sin, and because God hates sin and always hates sin, that even as believers who stand rightly with God, if we have sin in our lives, he still hates it. He still desires that we repent. And so the simple answer here, Peter is saying, if you notice malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and that's not, a, that's not meant to be an exhaustive list as if those are the only things we have to look for. He's just kind of giving you a random handful of examples. It's kind of like when you're talking to your kids and telling them, hey, I'd like you to clean up your room like your dirty laundry and the Legos that are spilled all over the floor and the bed that's unmade. And they, all they heard was dirty laundry, Legos, and the bed. But there's a whole lot of other things that are going on in their room that need to be dealt with. You know, so they're going to only do the three things. Because we were, I was very specific, right? And uh, so they're going to do those things. I'm going to come in. It's still going to be a mess. And I'm going to be upset because they didn't obey, right? And you, I'm trying to tell them, listen, you missed the heart of my instruction. The heart of my instruction was cleanliness, all right? So I want you to catch the vision, all right? And uh, so, but the, I think sometimes in scripture, Paul does this as well. Peter does this. He, they, Paul does this a lot, actually. He gives a lot of lists. And I've been caught up in writing Paul's lists down, which can be a fun activity. But they can also turn into like a whole bunch of Ten Commandments, right? And, uh, and they're not really meant to be exhaustive, not all of them. So a lot of them are simply giving you examples in order to catch the vision, catch the heart. He says, if you see these kinds of things in your life, get rid of them. Also, something else to notice about these words, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, all five of those words are plural words. Um, you wouldn't notice that by reading them in the uh, English, but in the Greek, they're all plural, which means that there's a lot of them, right? So there's probably, it's not just a little wickedness, it's all the wickedness that might be present in your life. 
It's not just one, that one time that you, you are, were deceitful. It's all of the deceit in your life. It's not the one moment of hypocrisy. It's all of the hypocrisy in your life. You, you kind of get in the picture. He's kind of saying all of these things need to be dealt with. Uh, something that's also interesting about Peter, Peter's really good about when talking about grace, he's going to also make sure he talks about obedience. He knows and is rejoicing that we are saved by the grace of God alone. But it is also important to be obedient. So in his instructions to walk obediently are also going to be instructions to put away the old sinfulness, right? So we see that right here partnered with uh, the next statement, which is like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Let's take a look at a verse from Ephesians really quick. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, we kind of get a little picture. Paul tells the church almost the same thing regarding putting away the old flesh. This is what he says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. I'm going to pause there for a second. That first statement that he said, this I say and affirm together with the Lord. I think that's a really great statement that Paul makes. And it's just a good reminder that Paul wrote the letters to uh, the churches that Paul had visited as a missionary. Peter wrote letters. John wrote a gospel. Matthew wrote a gospel. Mark wrote a gospel. These are men who wrote a lot of these words down. But the reality is they're all written by God. And these are men who just wrote them down. And Paul is simply saying, I am affirming together with the Lord what the Lord is saying. And so he's writing these things down. I, this I say, I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So he's basically speaking to the Ephesians and saying, listen, you were of the Gentiles, but you are now a believer in Jesus Christ, and it is now your responsibility to not walk the way you used to walk and the way everyone else continues to walk who does not believe in Christ the way you do. And so he's saying it is now your responsibility to change the way you walk. And then he says, and it's it was, and the reason people walk that way is because of the the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their eyes to the truth of God. And so he is saying to us, now that your heart is not hard and you're not blind, we ought not walk as if we are blind and as if our hearts are hard to the holiness and the righteousness of God. So he's saying, based on your true nature, Live according to your true nature. So let's keep reading what he, he, Paul says in verse 19 of chapter 4. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Basically saying, you didn't come to know Christ through the futility of your mind. You came to know Christ by a totally different way. You came to know Christ by the grace of God. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him... And have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in the righteousness and the holiness of the truth. So this is our true nature as believers. We have been created by God. We've been recreated or reborn, if we want to use Peter's words, reborn into the righteousness and holiness of truth. That is our new self. And so Paul's saying naturally we should live in a way that reflects our new self, not our old self. And Peter is simply saying very much the same thing. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Now, when I read that um, in English, I feel like it's, um, uh, I, I, it sounds easier sometimes to say, long for the pure milk of the word, like a newborn baby longs for milk, is kind of the concept. It's an analogy. It's a, an illustration that Peter is using. But the imperative is on longing for the word of God. And that's the instruction that stands in the, within this section of the scripture is a longing for the pure milk of the word of God. Now that word pure means spiritual. So he's saying you're longing for a spiritual kind of milk. And obviously he's not telling us to like milk. All right? He's asking us to like the word of God. It's not a bad thing to like milk, but that's not the point. All right? But he's, out, he's telling us to like the word of God. And he used a baby as an example. Um, it, is, it does seem like at that point in their life, their needs, or at least in that instance, when it, when it comes to milk, need and want are, are kind of, uh, they're aligned for once. You know, they need milk in order to sustain them, and they want the milk, and they long for the milk. We've seen it. We've seen how babies long for milk. In fact, they long for it so much that they can throw an all-out temper tantrum until they get what they need, right? And it is related to their needs, but it's pretty much the only way that they have to communicate that they need milk. There are, uh, you know, lots of expressions that babies have to communicate that, but the fact is their need and their wants are kind of aligned, and it's a very strong and powerful need. It's enough to keep you and I awake all night long if you happen to have one that needs milk every couple hours, all right? So it's a pretty simple illustration. But he's saying with that same kind of energy, with that same kind of excitement, with that same kind of desire and longing, that ought to be applied to the Word of God as believers. Now, we know that uh, over time, our needs and our wants get a little uh, misplaced, right? Oftentimes, the things that we want aren't the things that we actually need. And a lot of times, the things that we really need, we have no desire for. And uh, I think Peter's pointing that out, especially in regards to the Word of God. Unfortunately, for, uh, well, fortunately for believers, we live on the Word of God. And God has given us His Word. And that's a rich blessing for us. The written Word of God and the Word of God that can be hidden in our hearts and the Spirit of God within us that preaches this word to us on a daily basis is such a rich blessing, but he has created us in such a way that we need it in order to be sustained through this life. And unfortunately, I think many Christians go a large part of their lives without a rich and deep longing for the word, much like a baby longs for the milk 
that it needs to be sustained. So Peter is saying we need to have a longing for the Word of God that's much like that infant. So here's a passage that I wanted to read from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. That's Actually, I'm going to read verse 1 through um, yeah, one through three, that uh, speaks specifically about the uh, the people of God that He was taking care of and providing for. But He speaks specifically about His Word in chapter eight, Deuteronomy eight. This is what God tells His people: All the commandments that I am commanding you today shall be you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you were, would keep his commandments or not. So basically saying he gave them his commandments, his instruction, his word, commanded them to live by those, those instructions. And all the while, while they were in the wilderness, they were enduring testing and their responsibility was to continue being obedient throughout the tests of the wilderness. And then in verse 3, He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but, that, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord." Meaning that God put these people in a situation where they had to be fully dependent on him and his provision. And it tested their faith. It tested their obedience. But he was using the manna as a reminder to them that in order to live life, in order to live life the way God's created us to live, we must live it depending on him, his provision, and specifically his word. God has designed us from the beginning to rely on his word, which means that all of humanity that lives, they may be the healthiest human being on the planet, but if they do not fear God and honor God and revere him and his word and know him through his word, then they are living life malnourished. They might physically be strong for a season, but spiritually speaking, they're malnourished. They're without the nourishment that is needed for real, true life. And we know, ultimately, that begins by faith in Jesus Christ and coming to know Christ and having the Spirit of God dwell within us. Now the Word of God dwells within us, and the Word of God before us and before our eyes sustains us so that we can go through life strong and able to withstand the difficulties of the tests of this world, but also the ability for us to worship the Lord with this life and to glorify Him with this life that He's created in us. That we live it not for ourselves, but for His glory. As in, in the same sense in which Peter tells them to fervently love one another from the heart, which you can't do without the Word of God dwelling within you, that we, we cannot have the strength that we need without the Word of God. So one other aspect I'd like to read is just maybe this is, Whenever I read anything from Scripture or, or come across one of these where it seems like the Lord's leading us through a passage of Scripture that highlights the beauty of God's Word and our need for God's Word, I love going back to Psalm 119 and just looking at least from an, at an excerpt 
from that because David's heart and his desire for the word of God in his life. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 129. Let's read this section. This is what he says. Psalm 119, starting in 129, he says, Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. There's that concept, that longing for the commandments of God. And that longing simply means to desire earnestly, to really want something, to really want this. Also notice the, his heart behind uh, what he sees in God's word when he says that they're wonderful and his soul observes them. The unfolding of the words gives light. Something good to remember about God's word is that it's revelation. It's not just words on a page. It's not just words in a book that some historian wrote down. This, these words give us a glimpse at a God that we cannot see with our eyes. We can see certain evidences of him in creation. It's what is some people have labeled as general revelation. We can see some signs of God, but this gives us a specific understanding of, of the unique and beautiful qualities of God that we would not otherwise know if we did not read it or if it was not preached to us. And so he, Paul or David is saying, when I read your words, it's like, the lights come on. It's, I'm seeing an unfolding of the glory of God in the word of God. And he is saying that as he's reading and as he's drawing near to the Lord, his heart is longing for his. It's as if his soul is panting for more of this rich truth that God is giving. And so he says in verse 132, Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let iniquity have dominion over me. So he's basically saying, establish my feet in the truth of the word of God and the way of this teaching so that sin will not reign over me, will not be my master, will not lead my life and make me its slave. And so he's saying, set my feet on this truth and in this word. Verse 134, redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon me. That, I think that is a reflection on the fact that he's saying he's living in a corrupt and sinful world. He's saying, save me from the influences of this world that I may keep your precepts. I want to walk in your precepts, but every day I'm tempted to not walk in your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant. Teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. You get a sense of his emotion over his obedience to the law of God, over his desire for the word of God, over his love for the word of God. And so Paul, Peter, I think, is reminding the church saying, as you are putting away your malice and your deceit and your hypocrisy and your envy and your slander, we need to long for the spiritual milk of the word of God, much like a baby longs for the milk of its mother. And so then he says this, and what's the result? This is so that you may grow 
in respect to salvation. Now, that's actually not an instruction so that you may grow. Growing is not an instruction here. He's not saying, I want you to go out and to grow. Instead, he's saying this is going to be a result. Grammatically speaking, in the Greek, you don't have to remember all this, but this is aorist subjunctive. All right, you can forget that immediately. That's okay. But subjunctive simply means that, but that it is a definite outcome that will happen as a result of another stated action. So it's not, and, and it can be, uh, in, typically it's past tense, but it's past tense without a definite end. It doesn't have a, uh, a duration or a completion. So it's something that has begun, but it's not over yet. It's something that, uh, that comes as a result of something else. So when he speaks about growth here, he's saying we need to grow in respect to salvation, but he's not telling us to grow. It's not an imperative. The imperative is on longing for the milk of the word of God. He's saying if we can long for and desire earnestly the word of God, then as a result of us consuming the word of God and, and drawing near to the Lord through the word of God, then we will begin to see ourselves grow as a natural outcome of that action, of that discipline and of that responsibility. So he said, you do this so that you may grow in respect to salvation. Now, also, I don't want to disconnect that from the fact that it's actually the Spirit of God doing the work. He's the one causing the growth. So when we desire to see growth in our spiritual lives, that's going to come through the presence of the Spirit of God using the Word of God to cause that growth. And so then we have to ask, what is that? What are we growing up into? Here he says, specifically in respect to salvation. Now, in respect is actually, it's a, uh, that's a preposition, which means it's kind of, it's to grow into something. I know y'all don't want to go to grammar school this morning, so I'm just, but, it, but it's really fascinating to me the way some of this is written. All right, so it's, it's a preposition, which means that it's, it means really, it's literally means into. You're growing into something or you are to extend into an area. It's to extend out into an area that is larger than what it, what, what, uh, than, than what originally occupies it to some extent. So it's almost like growing into a pair of shoes that's too big for you, right? So when, you know, if somebody ever, when you were a kid and somebody gave you a shirt or a pair of shoes that was way too big and they said, ah, you'll grow into it. And you just hoped that you might grow into that. People used to do that to me all the time. I just never grew into anything. So, but, um, but the thing is, you stand it. But sometimes what's unique about that is that uh, you're given something that's it's yours, right? Somebody gives you a pair of shoes, they're yours. And you can put them on. They may not fit. The hope would be that you grow into those shoes and they fit well. Uh, I also thought about uh, so many times. I, I think every one of my kids at some point did this. They, one of my kids, when they're really little, they come into my room and they put my shoes on, which for them are really big. And they clomp around the room and fall down and giggle and laugh or they get hurt and cry. And then they, they, they want me to laugh and they want me to play with them. And they are, they're being silly. But the idea is that they're, they're, they're wearing these shoes that are too big for them. But I think the image here, because I think this is a little bit of an analogy, an analogy to grow in respect to salvation, he's simply stating that we are wearing something that is too big for us and we are being instructed 
to long for the pure milk of the word of God because we need to grow into it. So the question is, what is it that we're wearing? The obvious or the simple answer to that is the robes of Christ. We are wearing the righteousness of Christ. We stand before God already uncondemned. We stand before God holy and blameless. We stand before God in the righteousness of our Savior, which we do not deserve and we do not measure up to. But all throughout God's word, we are seeing still a command for us to be holy because we are holy and because God is holy, to walk in this holiness. And so he's saying we need to grow up into that. It goes back to that concept of being conformed into the image of Christ. We bear the image of Christ and we need to continually be conformed into that image. So it's like wearing shoes that are a little bit too big for us. The difference is I'm not standing in my dad's shoes or I'm not wearing someone else's robe at this point. We're wearing our own. These robes have been given to us. These robes of righteousness that we wear, they're ours. They're not going to be taken away. They came from Christ. They were his. It's his righteousness, but he's given them to us. We wear them. Are we worthy of them? Absolutely not. But we wear them by the grace of God. And so God is saying to us, look at the robe that you're wearing. Act like it. Act, you're wearing kingly robes. It's time to stop living a debaucherous lifestyle since I, I died and shed my blood to pay for it, to justify that crime. It's over. It's done with. It's in the past. Put it away and walk in righteousness. And if you want to see that growth, long for the spiritual milk of the word of God. That's the imperative. So going back to Ephesians chapter 4, I skipped some verses before I came to verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, this is what Paul said before he talked about putting away the flesh. He said, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We are growing up into the image of Christ. We are growing up to reflect the image of Christ. So sometimes when we tell our kids, I don't know if you've, you've probably done this. I've told, I don't, I don't know that I've told my kids this, but sometimes I want to tell my kids this. Just grow up. You know, I don't really want them to grow. I enjoy their childhood. But sometimes I, I, I long for a little more maturity out of my kids than I see sometimes, right? And I know they'll get there, but, or maybe they will. Hopefully they will. We're praying that they will. But I think Paul and Peter are kind of telling, to, telling us that we need to grow up. So grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. But we are growing up into the image of Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together. That's the body of Christ. By what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There's that love concept again. So it's the word of God. It's the transformation of God in our lives, causing growth, building us up together individually and corporately into a fervent love for one another within the body of Christ. And uh, that is a reflection and an outflow of the image of Christ. And he's saying all of this comes through the Spirit of God working His Word 
into our lives. And then he lands on this statement right here. He says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And I think that's probably, that's a really big if. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So really, you can't apply this instruction unless you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Without first tasting the kindness of the Lord, then there's no sense in trying to be holy. Well, we're commanded to, so you have to. You just need to know that you're going to fail at every tent. And that's why we need a Savior. That's the kindness of the Lord. So let's take a look into that concept for a quick second. Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says this. Titus 3, verse 4, he says, But when the kindness of, our God, of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, meaning that God is kind and He has love for mankind, but it, that love and that kindness of God appeared. Remember the, the revelation, Scripture is a revelation of God. It gives us a window into what we cannot see. God is eternally kind. God is eternally loving, but mankind would not know that unless he revealed it to us. And so he revealed it to us through his word and specifically through sending his son Jesus to be our savior. Jesus is the revelation and the appearance of the kindness and the love of God. Anybody who wants to question whether or not God is loving, Jesus is the revelation of God's love. Him coming and living and dying and being resurrected for our salvation, that's the love of God on display. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. So he says this, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a rich explanation of salvation, right? So to taste of the kindness of God is to be saved. To taste of the kindness of God is to, is to know Jesus. Now, this, this knowledge of God should give us the motivation and the power that we need to grow in respect to salvation, to put away all envy, deceit, malice, and slander, and to long for the pure milk of the word of God. But if we have not first come to know Jesus Christ, that's where we must start. So basically, uh, when Peter started writing his letter, he first started by talking about rebirth. The work of God has created, caused us to be born again. First we must be born, then we can have milk, and then we can grow. But it can't go the other way around. You have to at least be born first. So that means we all desperately need Jesus first. And that's a very simple, before I move on with applications this morning, I would just like to just remind everyone in the room, wherever you're at with the Lord, whether you're struggling in relationship with God or, or um, if you've never surrendered to the Lordship of God in your life, what, if, if before you try to apply all the teachings of God's word, you need Jesus first. Draw near to Christ. This is, this is the simple instruction. Then 
you can put aside all the wickedness of your former life, then you can long for the spiritual milk of the Word of God. In fact, I would say that if you try to long for the spiritual milk of the Word of God and you don't have the Spirit of God within you, you're going to have a very difficult time because you're not going to like it. Simple plea. If you don't know Jesus, cry out to Him for salvation. He promises that you will be saved, and then He can work out the beauty and the riches of the salvation in your life. And as believers... Peter's talking to believers. So when he says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, he's really saying, if this is true about you, you claim this to be true about you, if this is in fact true about you, then these other things need to be taking place in your life. You should be seeing growth. If you're not seeing growth, there might be a problem with your longing for the milk of the word of God. Now, I do think it's possible for genuine believers to begin to lose their taste for the word of God because we're so saturated with things in life that are not as rich and wonderful as the true milk of the word of God. The same way a child enjoys eating cake more than they enjoy eating vegetables, right? So, but it is an acquired taste. If you stop eating cake for a long amount of time and you eat a lot of vegetables, you begin to like it. Somehow it's a miracle. I don't know, but it happens. It's true. It happens. Your taste and your ability to enjoy eating a vegetable changes. And that's what happens, I believe, with God's word as well, spiritually speaking. We, we put away all the, the wickedness of the world and begin consuming more of this. We'll like it more as believers. And I think it's a simple instruction. So the applications from this this morning, I'd like to encourage you. Number one, first of all, taste the kindness of God. Believe Jesus. Cry out for salvation. That's the number one thing. And if that's not happened in your life yet, don't, don't worry about the rest of it. Recognize you need Jesus and cry out to him for salvation. Number two, get rid of all the wickedness and deceit and hypocrisy and, and slander and, and, uh, and envy all representations of sin of your former life. If there are any present, identify them and get rid of them. And then number three, through the work of God and the spirit of God are long for the pure work of the pure and spiritual holy word of God. Long for the word of God in your life. That'd be the third application. Learn to desire it. Learn to love it. Discipline yourself to make the time to consume it. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do in today's day. And through the work of God and the Spirit of God in us, I believe that if we would do these things, we will see growth. We will see maturity. We will see wisdom. And we will begin to see the image of Christ reflected in our own lives. Which I think if you're a believer, you long for that. You long to see Jesus in yourself. You long to see Jesus in your brothers and sisters in Christ when you come to church or when you fellowship in person. We want to see Christ in each other. We ought to also want to see Christ in ourselves. And I think that we will begin to see it if we will apply these things. Let's pray through all that this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.